1: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm not the type of person who uh, speaks uh, publicly about personal circumstances, but uh, our family had an experience recently that I think a lot of people can relate to. Just before Christmas, we were in the difficult position of having to put our 17-year-old cat down. I'm totally realistic about it. I've had many pets over the years, and and the poor thing was uh, clearly suffering. He was in great health until the end, but in the last few weeks, it was abundantly clear that he was going downhill, and in the last 24 hours, uh, it you know there, there was no question he, he was suffering tremendously, and, and that putting him down was the kindest thing to do. We are not the type to hang on to an animal longer than needs to be, if you know what I'm saying, especially when the animal is suffering. So We called our vet but uh, couldn't get him in until the following day and and the animal was needed help right away. Uh, When we were finally able to find a vet that would take him the cost of having the cat put down was in excess of $600 which came as a little bit of a surprise to us I have to be honest. It was a source of conversation as you can imagine at gatherings throughout uh, the Christmas period and most people I spoke to had similar stories about the cost of vet care and what it means especially for those who are struggling well my guest today is dr maggie brown burry who works in veterinary care hello hello i understand you had a very busy christmas
0: i did um i uh I worked right up till the 23rd um, in one clinic. Then was off for Christmas, and then I was working in another clinic uh, for those business days between Christmas and New Year's. And it is usually a very busy time in the clinics because of the reduced hours with the holidays. Um, there's usually quite a lot of people trying to get seen when they can uh, and take care of stuff around the holidays. Um, and I actually, I also lost my own cat over over the holidays as well. So I kind of experienced both sides of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, like healthcare, of course, uh, things don't slow down. The need doesn't go away. It's just like you said, mm. the demand gets so intense and so. Um, you know, focused, I suppose, because of those reduced hours over Christmas period, do you find that uh, people were a little bit, I guess, uh, frustrated or uh, anxious about uh, not being able to
0: get the care that they needed at a particular time? Um, To a certain extent, definitely. I mean, as a veterinarian, I don't experience that frustration as much as like our front end staff does. Uh, it's definitely a very difficult time for our reception staff or our customer service representatives because they're the ones that sort of feel those phone calls um, and, and may have to turn people away based on the parameters the clinic has set up just to make sure that the pets that we are seeing, we're able to give them the best care. You know, we, if we say yes to, to everyone who calls, um, we'll have more patients than we can actually handle.
1: Absolutely. And are you, do you have the luxury of being able to prioritize, let's say a dog comes in with a broken leg over, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, another dog that just appears lethargic?
0: To, to a certain extent, most clinics, like their prioritization is going to be their own clients, so they people they already have a relationship with. Um, and every clinic kind of handles their ability to see urgent or unexpected cases in a different way, whether that be having a few spots, a few appointments that they will not fill until the day of, um, so that means they're not going to be taken up with, you know, something that can wait. It's something that we're calling today because it's just happened today, and this is something that can't wait. Um, in most clinics will also take into consideration like what are we looking at if this sounds like this might be problem x which could wait until tomorrow except that tomorrow um is saturday and and it's christmas and et cetera, et cetera. well maybe this is not something that can wait three to four days so we're going to do our best to try to get them in um for clinics in the sort of st john's region they have the ability to say listen that is not something that can wait Wait. We really don't have the capacity. Uh, the Veterinary Specialty Center has 24-hour emergency services and, and we're going to have to direct you there. Um, for clinics outside of the sort of service area for that emergency clinic, um, unfortunately, they may have to say to clients, listen, if this really can't wait until our next available appointment, you're going to have to make use of our emergency services out of hours and there will be extra fees associated with that.
1: And I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, costs, because I hear an awful lot of pet owners um, remarking on it, especially of late. and We all know how everything is inflating in cost lately. I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on, on Target is Dr. Maggie Brown-Burry, who works in veterinary care here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM week get people talking. Our guest today on On Target is uh, veterinarian Dr. Maggie brown and uh, Maggie we I think we all understand vet clinics are a business and they have some very high overhead and high costs. Uh, what
0: kind of cost does the average vet clinic have? So there's the obviously like the cost of supplies, um, and not just like the drugs and food that then are resold to clients, but the gauze, the uh, syringes and needles for administering the vaccines or taking blood. Uh, most. Every clinic in Newfoundland and Labrador has a pretty robust in-house uh, laboratory for doing diagnostics because um, there just isn't a, a local place for us to send samples. So having that lab equipment maintained uh, and the supplies for running those that lab work. Um, and then, of course, our staff costs and uh, building costs, the heat and the power, um, that all adds up. And then there's wear and tear to the building that... Some things are sort of really important, like having a good kennel system so that the pets that are hospitalized are safe and secure. Um, all of these things are sort of absolutely necessary for providing good care to our clients. Uh, and as the cost of providing that care goes up, unfortunately, the cost of that care has to go up. And you can't just turn off the heat, <laughs> you know, overnight no. or anything like that. Yeah, and there's like there's some ways that we might be able to reduce sort of the cost um, that one thing might be uh, for, or maybe find a, a lower cost option. Uh, but usually, when we're doing that, it's to absorb the increase in something else. So if if we are able to find a, a sort of a cheaper supplier or a more cost effective way of operating in in a certain part of the hospital, um, we can't lower prices because we're doing that so that we can avoid raising prices because something else has become more expensive.
1: Um, in terms of uh, the supply chain, we've heard a lot about supply chain issues, and I know that in uh, in the medical field, they're still having problems with syringes, for instance, those kinds of things. Is are are you are vials for collection of samples and blood? Um, are, are you seeing similar types
0: of shortages in veterinary care? We are very much seeing those shortages, and it, and it varies from sort of day to day or week to week where that supply chain issue is going to hit us Um, most notably from my experience sort of in this past month is there's a particular drug that um, is very commonly used in conditions in cats where without this drug they are going to be suffering Um, and the pill form went on back order uh, leaving us with only the liquid form which is fine for a small cat Uh, but as soon as that cat becomes like six or seven kilograms which is not Outside of the realm of possibility, we're talking about a very large volume of maybe not tasty liquid. Uh, And if you've ever tried to make a cat take in liquid, it's not a good time. It's not Um, an easy thing, no. (laughs) Yeah, so so some of that is going to maybe even impact our clients more than us, but we certainly have had, like, I've been in clinics where there's a certain size syringe we just don't have, and so we have to do other things. If that's the size that would be best, we're either using a lot of extra small ones or we're using an oversized one. um, and. And then we're going to run low on those on those sizes because we're using them more than we should be. So it definitely has been impacting us as well. And we're kind of low on the food chain when it comes to some medical supply chains, because uh, for obvious reasons, the human medical field is going to be a priority for some of these companies. Uh, so if it's uh, um a product or material that we both use, and there's quite a lot of overlap, uh, we sometimes are going to run out first uh, because they want to make sure that it's available for the human medicine field.
1: You mentioned lab equipment, and I think that's fascinating too because I, I don't think a lot of people understand that. I mean, if you have to get blood work, for instance, uh, for a dog or a cat or a horse, for that matter, it's
0: it's got to go out of province, is that correct, normally? yeah so if I for a while I worked in Ontario, and a lot of clinics in Ontario might not have what we call an in house lab because they can just send all of their lab samples to um a, a large diagnostic facility uh and they have like maybe a twenty four hour turnaround but for us if we're we don't have that in the province, so if we have to ship the blood sample out um It's going to be two, maybe three days before we get those results. And in some cases, that's just not going to be uh, acceptable depending on the condition. So every clinic has some diagnostic capacity within the clinic. And we're finding more and more that they are expanding those services because the companies that make these lab equipment um, are making it easier to run. So it's easier to do it with sort of lay staff as opposed to people that have gone to school specifically to run this equipment. Um, but also, we don't have to worry about samples getting lost in, in shipping or damaged in shipping. So it just makes us a little bit more confident in our ability to provide that information for our pets and patients. Um, and and I think that, you know, if if you think about like all the tests that we'll do on a regular basis for our dogs and cats Uh, it's the same test that they will do for people that are going to have surgery it's the same kind of equipment excuse me that they have at like the health sciences Uh, it's just in every single vet clinic so when you go to your doctor's office and they order blood work for you even if you have like someone coming into your doctor's office to take the blood that blood isn't being run at your doctor's office it's being taken to the hospital Um, in the veterinary world in newfoundland and labrador you're going to your doctor appointment or your dog is going to his doctor appointment, the blood's being taken, and it's being run right there in that same facility.
1: Yeah, so that makes things a little bit faster, I would imagine, but there's a cost to that.
0: There is, yeah. And, and, I mean, people would argue that, you know, if it's going to be cheaper, then we'd rather have it sent away, and that might be well and good if this is, like, annual just senior wellness checkup blood but if your dog is super super sick and we need to know what's wrong before we can pick the right medication you don't want to have to wait two to three days to find that out.
1: Indeed and then worry about whether or not the sample was lost or whatever the case may be.
0: Exactly or if they don't respond to the medication you're giving and you have no idea if it's because it's the wrong medication and it's going to be a while before you know um And, yeah, so it's just the times where it wouldn't be acceptable to send it away are just too important for us to not have that equipment in clinic.
1: Is there room or demand enough in Newfoundland and Labrador for a local vet lab, perhaps?
0: Uh, I think that there could be. Um, You know, there's, there's definitely arguments that can be made about sort of centralizing some of the services uh, and whether or not it would reduce costs overall if it was like one larger facility doing all of the samples versus every single facility doing it themselves. There are certain tests that I think clinics will always want to be doing in-house, but there's definitely some additional tests that not all clinics offer, um, and so you're not always going to be able to uh, get that specific test, depending on which clinic you go to, uh, and maybe if there was one place that had this capacity to take in samples beyond their own clients, um, then that would be something that would benefit pet owners across the province. And I think there you know, some facilities like the Veterinary Specialty Center uh, has looked at and considered that. And I know they have a pretty expansive diagnostic department in their facility. Um, so it's something that might happen down the road. But, uh, you know, our when you look at an individual clinic, the number of times that those tests might come up doesn't seem like a lot. Someone has to sort of look at how often are we requesting that test from the entire province.
1: Indeed. And, you know, while there may be potential for a lot of those tests to happen, not ne- it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to avail of it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in with any kind of business, like you need to have it be worthwhile. Um, the demand has to be there uh, to make the cost sort of acceptable or reasonable, I guess, because if there's only two or three times that particular test is going to be requested, uh, but the equipment needs to be maintained all year long, that might not be worthwhile. Even if there is one clinic that says, everyone send us your samples, it might still not be enough to make the cost per test reasonable for clients compared to sending it away. Um, So I think there'll always be some sort of really outside the box tests that we'll always have to send away for but we are increasing the amount of tests that we can do within the province uh, which you know then you don't have shipping fees then you don't have the repeat testing if the results are not what you expect or the sample gets lost so i think there is definitely some progress being made in that Um, but with progress also comes increased costs so it's 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 difficult to balance because there's a lot of pet owners out there I know would be very happy with just, I have my pet, he gets his vaccines, he gets spayed and neutered, you know, maybe he needs some antibiotics, but I don't, if he gets super, super sick, I'm not going to go all in on all of the options that are out there. Um, but there are enough pet owners that want those options that we mm. have to find a balance between having Stuff available for those who want everything that's out there um, and keeping costs overall where people are able to keep pets who are fine with not maybe having all of those bells and whistles available.
1: Right, because you'll always have a pet owner who's going to say, do whatever it takes. Yep. I want you to run the gamut of everything because this little bird creature is the world to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're very, very fortunate to have the veterinary specialty center in St. John's because no matter where I am in the province, if a client says, like, what are the options for this condition? If it's something that I can't offer, the veterinary specialty center probably can offer it if the owner has the means and can handle the logistics of getting their pet to St. John's. Um, and that's still going to be easier than getting the pet somewhere else in the country.
1: Is there a, a realistic way for, um, and I know they're, they're probably doing it, uh, you know, every single day, but are, are there ways for vet clinics to reduce some
0: of those costs? There. I mean, it depends on um, the sort of is very dependent from clinic to clinic in a situation that they're in where they can reduce costs and where they can't. Um, you know, if a clinic is in an area where there's only one or two vets and they are on call all of the time, um, they're going to make their emergency fees sort of, make it, I guess, worth their while. They're on call 24-7. They're never getting a break. Um, they don't want to come in at 2 in the morning for something that could wait, um, and they might find a way to kind of reduce the amount of time that they're spending in the clinic. For example, there are telemedicine services where when you have call in the middle of the night with an emergency, you're going to get to speak to a veterinarian, It's not going to be your veterinarian, um, but that you will speak to a veterinarian and there's a cost associated with that. But you speak to a veterinarian and they will determine whether this can wait or if it can't wait, then your vet will be called. Um, But because your vet is only getting called when it is truly, truly an emergency, they can kind of keep costs down a little bit because they're not in the clinic all of the time for these little things where they're not answering the phone all of the time and getting burnt out and having to try to, you know, hire extra staff because the staff they have are overworked. So there are things you can do to kind of reduce the workload, which can make it easier to sort of keep costs down. Um, if you're in a place where it is more difficult to get supplies, for example, out in Labrador, um, that might play a part in how much you can really play with the costs of your consumables. Uh, I've worked out in Lab West and we have had weeks go by where our deliveries doesn't arrive and so we start to become very short on supplies and then we just have to get whatever we can get, and it might not be the cheapest option so there is a lot of variation from clinic to clinic what what you can play with to try to keep the cost of doing business down so that you can reflect that lower costs to your clients
1: our guest today on on target is dr maggie brown burry who works in veterinary care here in newfoundland and labrador we'll be back right after this join us for on target one hour in which linda swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your vocm our guest today on on target is Dr. Maggie Brownbury, who works in veterinary care in Newfoundland and labrador and uh, um, Maggie is pet insurance something that uh, pet owners should consider? Does that help in any way? Uh,
0: yes, definitely it can help a lot, especially if your pet ends up with a chronic condition, um, for example, my dog has diabetes and um, the, depending on the pet insurance that you have uh the one that we have sort of we pay deductible when she was diagnosed uh, and now anything that we have to pay related to her diabetes is ninety percent covered. We don't have to pay the deductible again um, and she's a large dog, she goes through one bottle of insulin a week and I can't remember the exact cost of that one bottle of insulin, but it's like in the neighborhood of fifty to sixty dollars. Um, we had to get a sensor for monitoring her sugars because the holidays kind of did a number on her. Um, that sensor's about ninety dollars at Costco, and I just sent in my receipt, and insurance reimbursed us for ninety percent. So it's really saved us a lot of money now that she's diabetic. Um, if something like heaven forbid, your dog gets hit by a car. Uh, and breaks a leg like you're looking at several thousand dollars uh, in surgery to repair that Um, easily could get up close to ten thousand dollars so you know very understandable that a lot of people that is not a bill that they're going to be prepared to pay if you have insurance and it's covering most of it that could be the difference between being able to say yes to that surgery uh, confidently or being able or being having to sort of take a step back and figure out whether or not this is something that uh, your family can handle.
1: You and I spoke previously about uh, diversification, I guess, in veterinary care. And I know in many higher population areas, they're moving to more specialized services. What does the veterinary landscape look like here and and is it changing?
0: I think that in the St. John's area, there's certainly a bit of a change because the specialty center is there. So if you are a pet owner who is looking for, you know, my pet has seizures and I want to know for sure, he doesn't have a brain tumor, CT, MRI, that is available to me. Obviously, those tests come with a cost. Um but uh, you know, if if you don't want to go that road, then you stick with your general practitioner, uh, who's going to be doing some blood work, but not going to be doing some advanced imaging, uh, and still be able to manage that that seizure patient. So I think there's a little bit of that in the Saint John's area with having a specialty center. Um, other forms of diversification that we'll sort of see in the industry, like having low cost um, clinics where it's like vaccines, spay and neuters, just basic preventative care for healthy pets, not really a lot of sick pet care, that's a little harder to sort of have that develop here because we have such a huge geographic area uh, with pet owners spread all over the country. Um, You know, for most of the province, we're still kind of struggling to just have that sort of standard basic general practice exist for pet owners to have access to uh, outside of the Avalon. And, and those practices right now basically have to be everything for everyone, which is impossible to do in today's world. Um, so they kind of have to do the best that they can, which lands them somewhere in the middle between that sort of low-cost, high-volume clinic uh, and something like the specialty center. And uh, that's going to service the most people. Uh, It will leave some people on either end of the spectrum not having the kind of clinic that they would be happy with, but most people would be able to feel satisfied that their pet is getting the care that that it needs. Uh,
1: Vet clinics used to be incredibly rare, especially here in Newfoundland and Labrador. I I mean, I can remember a time when a lot of places in this province didn't have any access to veterinary care, and people sort of took care of things themselves, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but I mean, that is
0: still the case in some pretty significant pockets of the province. Um, You know, I, I was working out in Corner Brook and waiting well, expecting uh, an emergency that was coming from the coast of Labrador. Uh, and it was actually faster for them to get on the boat and come to Corner Brook than to get to the nearest available clinic in Labrador.
1: Yeah, that'll give you an idea. So what are some of the impediments then in setting up vet
0: clinics in rural areas? Well, part of it is is really just workforce shortage. There is a documented workforce shortage both in veterinarians and registered veterinary technicians um, across the country and definitely Newfoundland and Labrador are experiencing that. So finding the vets who want to work in rural areas, which often means being on call 24-7 is challenging. Um, but even in metropolitan areas like St. John's, there's clinics in St. John's that are definitely busy enough for more veterinarians to be working there. uh, and, and they struggle to hire those veterinarians and then you need the support staff. Um, now the veterinary technician shortage in Newfoundland and Labrador is a little bit impacted by the fact that we don't have a college that actually, um, sort of graduates people that can become registered vet tech. So it's not a career choice that a lot of people will leave the province for the education and then come back for. Um, So that's one of the hurdles there. Uh, And then you just need like your reception staff and all of that. And in in some clinics in more rural areas, we'll find even that difficult to kind of keep up with. um, Because unfortunately, it is frustrating as a pet owner, if you can't get the care or the service that you want Um, and human nature has those clients sometimes taking that out on the reception staff uh, which then makes it hard for us to keep reception staff in the industry long term because they kind of become um, punching bags for angry clients.
1: Which is, you know, when emotions are high, especially when you're dealing yeah. with an animal that can't speak to you and, you know what I'm saying, uh, you just have that empathy towards the animal. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, it comes out in some negative way sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to circle back to your experience over the holidays, um, it, it is a career path that can be very emotionally Draining because people go into a veterinary clinic to work because they love animals, and she then have to deal with families saying goodbye to family members to have to deal with sick and injured animals, animals that are suffering uh, every day. Some people love animals and they feel um, sort of motivated by being there for those animals. Some people love animals and it just breaks their heart too much to see that suffering, uh, and, and it takes its toll. And they decide they can't they can't do that uh, any longer. I mean, I think on the Friday before Christmas, the clinic that I was at, I think we had eight euthanasias in total. Um, and that front desk staff, they're part of that as well, right? They have to. Check in the client, deal with the client, deal with the bill which is an unpleasant part of that process. Uh, our, our technical support staff help handle the patient and then the doctor goes in and does that euthanasia. Everyone in the team is impacted by those appointments um, and it can, it can take a toll.
1: You mentioned burnout uh, previously. Is that a problem in
0: veterinary care? It is. And we have both like just burnout because you're working too much. You're not taking good care of yourself. Um, and we also can be faced with compassion fatigue, which is sort of a kind of burnout that happens to people in caring professions when you're just, you, you simply put, you're caring so much that you kind of become numb um, and you can't really take on any more compassion. Uh, and both of those things can lead to people either taking a significant break from the profession or leaving the profession altogether. Uh, I, I do have several colleagues that have completely left clinical practice because they just burnt out um, and they have found their joy elsewhere and are not going to come back. I know some people that burnt out, took a year doing something else, tried to come back and were like, actually, nope. I feel it already that I'm going to Stressed out. I'm getting too, too. I'm taking too much of the job home with me, and that's not the life that I that I want. Uh, and so they leave the profession again, um, and it's it's sad and it's unfortunate. And there are ways to sort of avoid it or or. Um, Care for yourself so that you are more resilient in face of it. But we don't always have the resources for that, um, and that brings us back, you know, to those rural clinics where the, there's only the one veterinarian servicing a large geographic area, and they're on call all the time. It can be very hard for them to get the break they need to kind of recharge their batteries so that they don't burn out. Um, and and the risk and the concern that we all have is that the veterinarians in those positions, if they Sort of completely burn out and walk away, then there's nothing left for the pet owners in that area.
1: And it seems to echo so closely what's happening in healthcare.
0: Yep. I it mean, it's very similar because, you know, again, it's a caring industry. So there's the compassion fatigue, uh, there's the burnout when there's just not enough doctors um, to cover the care, and you're doing, you're a human doctor because you want to help. People be healthy, be well. You want to treat their sicknesses, um, but if you feel like you can't possibly keep up, you need a break. And the only way to get a break is to leave. Um, and and then that makes it harder for all the, the caregivers you leave behind. It makes it harder for the patients you left behind. Um, but at some point, something has to give. And you know, unfortunately, we do see a lot of um, suicide in our profession. Uh, and I'm sure that. You know, in some of the human health care professions, it's, it's a similar problem where just mental health issues of the caregivers ends up taking them out of the profession altogether and, and just makes the problem worse. Our guest today on On Target is Dr. Maggie Brown-Burry, who works in
1: veterinary care here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target, Dr. Maggie brown Burry, who works in veterinary care in Newfoundland and Labrador. And, um, you know, I think when a lot of people talk about veterinary care, we think about dogs and cats. But there's an awful lot of people out there who have a variety of pets, be it a rat or a guinea pig or a chicken or a lizard or a snake or a goat. Uh, Is there available veterinary care for those types of animals that you might not see as frequently?
0: There are are um, unfortunately is is very limited uh, in most of the province and to anyone who you know feels um, drawn to having those kind of pets my advice is always to you know as you're getting ready to bring Either a small mammal or a bird or a reptile um, into your to your home. Part of that preparation needs to be figuring out what your options will be if they are sick, um, knowing which clinics are willing to see them. Um, or what sort of resources are out there, either online or sort of telemedicine services that you might be able to reach out to if you have a problem. Um, You know, I'm not saying that if you live in a remote part of the province, you're not allowed to have reptiles, but you just have to be realistic about what your options are going to be if they need veterinary care. There are no avian exotic specialists in the province. Um, There certainly are some general practitioners who have either some additional training, some special interest um, that has them sort of more comfortable, more knowledgeable. Uh, And then there are, you know, some more general practitioners who are just not afraid of handling these animals, um, you know, have that baseline knowledge. As a veterinarian, we are sort of trained in what's called comparative medicine, meaning, you know, I know how to deal with this in a cat. Um, I can transfer some of that knowledge into how to deal with it with a rabbit, with some basic caveats um, and some good textbooks. And so the care is out there. It's certainly not as available as it is for cats and dogs. Um, And especially when you're looking at emergency services. So uh, in some parts of the province, clinics share emergency services. So, if it, you have your clinic is quite comfortable if you're treating rabbits and your rabbit has an emergency in the middle of the night, it might not be your clinic that is on call. Um and so you may not be getting a veterinarian who is as comfortable as your routine veterinarian. And so these are these are things that you don't want to be learning during an emergency moment. These are things that you should be looking into if you have one of these pets so that you're ready if uh, something should happen.
1: Uh, how about um, access to veterinary care for larger animals? If you happen to have a, a pet pony, or a a, a goat, or a, a cow, for that matter.
0: So I am a little less familiar with how, like, what the current situation is for all of of that. Uh, right now that the, the government there are government veterinarians who sort of provide the large animal services across the province but there there does there is a bit of a gray zone if this is sort of what typically would be considered a farm animal but it is very much a pet um, because these are very much these are farm service veterinarians they go to the animal they do not have an actual hospital uh, and I do know there are people like I have spayed a pig um, because people had a A pig as a a pet not as a sort of uh agricultural species um and it needed to be brought into a hospital to be spayed uh, which is not something that the farm service vets provide so if if you there's any pet, really. If you have a pet who maybe is a little bit unique, you're going to want to make sure you know who can you reach out to if you have a problem, um, if you have an emergency. The farm service veterinarians are struggling with the workforce issues just as much as the small animal veterinarians, um, and and their their veterinarians have very large service areas that they provide um, service for. uh, So getting responses very quickly depending on where they last got a call from can sometimes be a challenge as well and so just if if there's someone out there listening who has decided they want to have a goat as a pet um, that's definitely something they should look into is who will they be reaching out to for help with that goat if it should become sick because if you just show up at a a dog and cat hospital with a goat um, you're you might not get the response you're hoping for Right, because they are vastly
1: different animals. Uh, does yeah. it... I mean, most of us love goats, but we oh, don't know what to do with it. I would love to have a goat, honestly. That's one of my dreams. Um, does it worry you that there are loving pet owners out there who may not have access to necessary, humane, necessary and humane vet services, either because of the uh, lack of access
0: or even cost? It does. It definitely does. And, you know, it breaks my heart when I hear stories of animals that I know were definitely suffering. Um, and for either lack of availability or uh, lack of affordability, we're unable to get the care that they need, Um we do the best that we can and i mean i work as a relief vet in part because i want to make sure that the vets across this province are getting the breaks that they need so they can keep practicing and keep providing that care um but you know i mentioned earlier while working in Cornerbrook, waiting on a client who was coming over from the coast of labrador um, what she was worried was wrong with her cat uh is not what was wrong with the cat thank god because if what she thought was wrong she was concerned the cat had a urinary blockage and was unable to urinate uh and for me the idea of it taking 6 to 7 hours for her to get to a clinic just like that hurt my soul but what else could we do you know i can't talk her through passing a urinary catheter over the phone the best she could do was get the cat in the car get on the boat and come on down um but if that cat had been unable to urinate he would have been in agony for that entire journey um, and and that does that does sort of weigh on our minds, but we just try to do the best we can. There are veterinarians in this province who are always actively discussing and looking into ways that they can improve how they are offering the services, um, so that they're more accessible, so that there aren't these pet owners that are in those sort of situations. But there are some hurdles that we just, you know, I can't grow veterinarians out of the ground. I can't make a clinic magically appear. Um, you know, if, if a veterinarian is off sick and there's no one to cover their appointments, there's nothing that we can really do about that. Uh, it takes four four years of veterinary school to become a veterinarian. We can't just get more overnight. So, you know, it does it does take that contributes to the burnout and the compassion fatigue because it does give us that sort of moral stress when we know these pets are out there suffering. Um, But I also know, and and it gives me some hope, that there are members of this profession who are actively discussing, troubleshooting, problem solving, doing the best they can to find a way to minimize how often that is happening.
1: You have about two and a half minutes left, but what kind of advice would you give to someone considering a career in vet services or somebody who's looking at their career options?
0: I think that if someone is really interested in veterinary medicine um, as a career option, there are so many paths that you can take if you don't think you have the marks to be a veterinarian. Um, You know, there are other roles in the clinic that are very, very important and we wouldn't be able to provide care without them. And the first step is just to... You know, volunteer at a clinic or go chat to someone who works at a clinic and, and see if it's for you before you start down that path um, because there's nothing more heartbreaking than going to school for something, getting out into the real world, and then realizing that that's not what you thought it would be. Um, and don't be discouraged by anyone who's kind of burnt out. Try to find someone who's shiny and new who still has love for the profession um, to talk to because, of course, you don't want to doom and gloom person shying you away from or scaring you away from it Um, but talk to as many people in the profession as you can there's so many roles in a clinic whether it's technician veterinarian receptionist um, that just you know really play a part in providing that care to those pet those pets and those pet owners that are looking for that care
1: and there are great rewards i often go in vet clinics and you see the staff all going oh buster hello buster you know they all know the the families and they know the pets and all of that stuff
0: Oh, yes. And, and, you know, it isn't all just playing with puppies and kittens, but we do get to play with puppies and kittens. Which is always a benefit.
1: (laughs) Um, Maggie Brownbury, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks so much. And I hope you get the well-deserved break that you need. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. All the best. Um, We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day.